mercy and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The text that is the basis for the, today's message is the gospel lesson from Luke that Vicar Werner read for us just a few moments ago. Now, please forgive me this day as I start in a place that I pray will give us pause. To the children who might be listening this morning, you need to hear me now. Today's lesson speaks of death. And today I am going to be speaking about death. And you needn't be scared about this at all. Because Jesus has taken care of death for us. So as you listen, hear how Jesus moves us towards repentance and life in him forever. Because of Jesus, even in death, we can be glad. Now for the adults and the teenagers this morning. This week, four U.S. soldiers were killed when their Osprey aircraft crashed during a NATO exercise. Were these four soldiers worse sinners than you? This week, a, a pickup truck driven by a miner blew a front tire across the center line and struck a van head-on, killing two in the truck and seven in the van. Were these nine people worse sinners than you? The people of Lviv, Ukraine, placed 109 empty strollers in the city square to memorialize the 109 children who have died thus far in the war. Were these 109 children worse sinners than you? Thousands of people have died on each side of this war in the Ukraine, many of them civilians. Were these thousands of people worse sinners than you? Many of us here today have experienced war. It is ugly painful and haunting. How many other wars and conflicts are ongoing in our world? Even if we dig deeply into the news resources we have, we will find that we have no idea. Now I know that this is a rather striking and perhaps even an odd way to start a sermon, especially since there wasn't any background information given. Our lesson today actually does this same thing as we hear Jesus getting right to the heart of the matter. So to help us understand this lesson, we are going to step back for a moment and lay the groundwork here to help us grasp not only the meaning of the events in the beginning of the sermon, but the events in our text today. In short, like the crowd in our lesson, we need to interpret the times. Now, earlier in Luke's gospel, Jesus revealed that we are in the messianic age. John the Baptist sent two disciples to Jesus asking him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus' answer, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. 
And the poor have good news preached to them. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus' answer reveals that he is the Messiah. The one prophesied by Isaiah is here. The Messianic age is now. In the verses right before our text, Jesus admonished the crowd for not understanding that they are in the Messianic age. They can look at the sky and note the direction of the wind and they can tell what weather is coming, but they have no ability to read the signs that reveal that they now live in the Messianic age. Do you? In their response to Jesus, some presents suggest that they know how to interpret the present times as they bring up Pilate's horrendous actions of murder. They suggest that these Galileans were guilty of some immeasurable sin that God judged and killed them for by the hands of Pilate. This cultural view of a one-to-one correspondence between sin and punishment is confirmed in the book of Job. But thankfully, we have Jesus' answer to help us uncover both the truth and the issue at hand. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you. And to drive this point home, Jesus gives the example of an accident where the tower in Siloam fell and killed 18 people. Again, he asked, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others that lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. The issue here is not the degree of sin within certain individuals. The issue is sin. Jesus is trying to help them realize that they are blind to the fact that sin itself is the problem. Do you know what sin is? It manifests itself in a radical self-centeredness that seeks to make you your own God. It causes you to fight and to scratch and to scream as you try to convince yourself and others around you that I'm the master of my own fate. I'm the captain of my soul. People, you were bought with a price the holy and precious blood of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you are not your own. You don't get to do what you want to do whenever you want to do it. The problem is sin. We have all sinned and live under that same sentence. Death. No matter how tragic we might think a circumstance of death is, the level of the tragedy is not a sign of God's judgment against certain persons. For God's wrath burns against all sinful humankind. And death reveals that sin is in each and every one of us. But Jesus doesn't leave the crowd or us today 
without an answer to sin. In both examples in today's text, he finishes with, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Wait a minute, Pastor, that doesn't seem all that comforting. You see, Jesus is warning his hearers, is not warning his hearers that Pilate is going to kill them or a tower is going to fall on them. Jesus is warning them about the danger of perishing in death. This is the second death, the eternal separation from God, which is far worse than physical death. Jesus experienced this second death on the cross. Remember his words? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That second death is what Jesus wants his hearers, you and the hearers in our text, to avoid. How? By repenting and clinging to Jesus, who alone provides the way out of perishing eternally. In and by faith, repent of your sins. Jesus calls us to the cross to discover real life through fruitful repentance. The parable of the fig tree that follows is Jesus explaining three things. Firstly, the final judgment that is coming is real. Secondly, God gives us time to repent. And we should not put off repentance. But the time to repent will come to an end and the tree found without fruitful repentance will be cut down and destroyed. None of us knows when this time ends. So he bids us, repent now. Now in this parable, the owner of the vineyard, of course, is God. The vineyard is the kingdom of God. And guess what? The fig tree? It's you. It's a tree that was placed and planted and nurtured and grown in the vineyard on purpose by the owner. The vine dresser is Jesus, the one who intercedes for the life of the tree. It is Jesus who deals with the sin in our lives, our fruitless nature, by bearing our sin on the cross. Jesus is the vine dresser who gets down on his hands and his knees and he breaks up the earth with the lashes of the whip, the thorns of the crown, and the nails of the cross so that he might intercede for us with the Father by his sacrifice saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he continues to nourish us with his body and blood in Holy Communion. He washes us clean in the waters of our baptism. He attaches us to himself in his death and his resurrection. And by faith he calls us to repentance so that his death and resurrection imparts to us his righteousness 
so that we might bear fruit that lasts, for as it is written, the root of the righteous bears fruit. The message of this parable is that the Lord is patient. He is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, not wishing any to perish, but to come to the knowledge of the truth and receive new life. This call to repentance is both urge, urgent and real, for there will come a time when the tree that does not bear fruit, the fruit of repentance, will be cut down and destroyed. So do not hesitate to repent. Martin Luther, in the first of his 95 theses, writes, when, the, when our Lord Jesus Christ said repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. And this is why we start our worship with confession and absolution and respond with a hymn of praise. Why? Because faith-filled repentance leads to one place, the gospel our Savior, Jesus Christ, the advocate with the Father that we now have, the propitiation for all of our sins, and not only ours, but for the sins of the whole world. Now your life might be leaving you wondering whether or not you've actually repented. I get that. If you see that you are both a wicked sinner and that you are cherished and loved, you understand repentance. Remember the prodigal son that turns and he comes home repenting of his sin to his father? What does that son see? He sees a father that breaks all the cultural norms and runs to him. What does that son hear? He hears, my son who was dead is alive. He was lost and now he is found. He feels the embrace of his father and the tenderness of his kisses. He feels the warmth of the best robe and the ring on his finger and the shoes on his feet. He tastes the fatted calf and joins in the ensuing feast and celebration. That's repentance, both law and gospel. Are there benefits of repentance that go beyond, that give us more? I think so. I think the repentance makes it easier for us to see our need to forgive one another. In repentance, we receive new eyes that see a bit more clearly that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Eyes that help us to see the log that is in our own eye so that it might be removed before we try to remove the speck in our brother's eye. In and with repentance, you should find that you can take criticism in a more positive light or at least in the light in which it should have been intended. When you repent, you should have more confidence as Christ, in Christ as your salvation, and you should be less self-conscious 
You might even find your shyness starting to melt away. Of course, the other side of this coin says that we should be on the lookout for those things that reveal that we may not be understanding repentance. For instance, if you see another's need to repent and condescendingly say, I'm glad I'm no longer like that guy. Well, you don't understand repentance. And you need to repent. If repentance is making you more sensitive to criticism, less confident, feeling unlovely, that's not repentance. Because you're not believing the embrace of the Father. You're not experiencing his kiss, the robe, the ring, the feast, the celebration, and the exclamation. My son was dead and is now alive. He was lost and is found. Now some get confused right here. For even though your feelings are often involved, repentance is not about your feelings. It is about the word of God and what it says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Should you have a contrite heart when you confess? Absolutely. But trust in God's word more than your feelings, for your feelings are flaky and they're untrustworthy. And when should we repent? Well, every day. You should repent when things go bad and when things go well. Repenting, especially when things go well, because that helps us to actually build our trust in and dependence upon God. Repentance in all circumstances gives us a new perspective that helps us to see and to live our lives in that life and death and the resurrection of Jesus. Until Jesus returns, and he is coming soon, our physical death is coming. Death is unnatural. No matter the cause. But we can take solace in our eternal life that began at our baptism. For us, physical death is passage. It's a passage into the final stage of our eternal life that is lived in the real presence of God that awaits the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. So come. You are called to the cross to discover real life that lasts forever. All by his grace through faith, a faith that brings fruitful repentance. Praise be to God. Amen.